Hi, and you're listening to Java with Jen with your host, Jenilee Samuel. Thanks so much for joining me over here at Java with Jen again. We've had some really awesome weeks with the whole series throughout February built around relationships and love. And now we're diving into March and March is about spring and new life and things coming to birth. And I felt like this topic that my guest Amber Cullum has brought is so perfect. You guys know I'm a wardrobe stylist and I'm in fashion. And so beauty is a topic that is near and dear to my heart. And I love how this topic of pairing beauty with brokenness and seeing the dichotomy and yet the partnership between the two, I just think it's so powerful. And so that's the topic we'll be diving into today. Amber, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's a joy to be here. Absolutely. So guys, let me introduce Amber real quick so you know who she is. Amber Cullum is a physical therapist who turned stay-at-home mom and podcast host and speaker who's always loved connecting with people through their hardships, passions, and faith. After moving to Raleigh, North Carolina with her husband and her three young children, she was encouraged to dream again in the midst of the daily grind. That was the beginning of the Grace Enough podcast, which is a weekly show with 100 plus episodes published that focuses on how God can use any story to impact his kingdom. Grace Enough has been featured in Christianity Today as one of 12 podcasts that you don't want to miss and in podcast magazines under the radar podcast and that you should be listening to. So Amber, it's an honor that you're here and with all of your experience and your wisdom, I'm excited to dive into this topic with you. Yes, I love to talk about um, how beauty and brokenness go hand in hand. So thank you again for having me. Absolutely. So elaborate a little bit on your podcast. That's awesome that you've been featured in Christianity Today and a few other platforms. So talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. um, So Grace Enough has been, goodness, I just celebrated three years, which seems so crazy, right? Mm. It's like when you first start, you think, hmm, how long will this go on? And now you're like, oh, it's three years in and a hundred and I think 63 episodes. And so, um, you know, it's really a podcast where, yes, it's about how God can use any story to impact his kingdom. And then even more beyond that, it's that he can use some really difficult conversations and digging into some really ugly things to also reveal himself and uh, to make us, I don't want to say more sold out followers of him, but more pure followers of him. And so that's a lot about the show and, and we cover all kinds of topics. That's so great. I love that. And I think sometimes the tougher lessons that we walk through makes us more compassionate followers. For sure. And empathetic and all of the things. That's so amazing. I love that. Okay. So let's, would you maybe give us in a nutshell for the listeners, where are we going with today's conversation? Dig into that beauty and brokenness paradox. Yeah. So we all absolutely know that we live in a broken world. I mean, you can turn on the news, you can just, what we've lived through for the last two years, it's very clear that we live in a broken world. But I think sometimes it's easy to forget that there is beauty in the broken world. There is beauty um, in the lives of people who are going through hard things. Mm -hmm. And so where we're going is really Uh, Beauty and brokenness, it is not a this or that, an either or, it's a both and. And we see that not only in our own 
own lives and in the lives of the people around us, but it's throughout God's word as well. Yeah, I love that. You're right. I mean, all you got to do is start reading the, <laughs> the Old Testament or the New Testament and you're like, oh, that's complicated. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I think we put them on pedestals sometimes because we think they're holier than thou. And really, I mean, they were ordinary people living in a broken world that most of the time were just saying yes to God. Yeah, it's so true. Oh my goodness. It's so true. I love, and I don't know if this is premature to share this in the episode, but I had asked the Lord before, like, cause I think sometimes in the church, we can get caught up in the fear of if I make mistakes, I'm going to sabotage my future. If I make mistakes, I'm going to not fulfill my destiny. And that, that fear honestly probably gripped me most of my life. And and then, you know, as you make mistakes, then the Lord's like, okay, let's introduce you to my grace. And let's, you know, I accommodated for, I factored in your shortcomings when I built your destiny. So there's that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but I love how just getting a discovery of God's grace and his mercy makes space, not in a permissive way, but makes space for the fact that really what determines whether we fulfill our destiny or not is that when we make those mistakes, if there's repentance, I feel Mm -hmm. like the one thing that separated people in the Bible who, what appears to be sabotaged their futures and those who fulfilled them, the determining factor, the hinge point was, were they repentant or were they not like Judas? Judas was never really repentant, you know? Yeah. And David was, yeah, Mm -hmm. David was repentant. So in church life or life in life period, our brains will process pain, mess, filth, mistakes as bad, right? And so we feel pain from it. We're programmed to run the other direction from pain. But on the other hand, we see beauty as like good and refreshing and what we aspire to. And so we think that we have to choose one or the other. We pursue one and that means we're abandoning the other. Um, Or that beautiful people that are people without baggage, right? Mm-hmm. And so speak to this idea of this or that you touched on it lightly. And so how do you look at it differently that it's not that you're choosing one and abandoning the other, even though of course we're always trying to grow and you know deal with our baggage, but how do you see that partnership come together so well? Yeah, I mean, I think we have personalities and we have woundings from, you know, childhood all the way up. Everybody does of some sort. That we can sometimes have this personality of woe is me or, oh, everything's great. It'll be fine. It's no big deal. And so those are kind of those two extremes. But the reality is neither one of those are super healthy because a lot of times things aren't going to be okay and they need to be worked through. And woe is me all the time is also not healthy because there are so many wonderful things that are going on around us even when we're in the midst of hardship. And so that really is where learning or practicing is what I should say. Um, This idea that, you know, I can be both happy and sad. Mm -hmm. I can be grieving and experience extreme joy. I can be struggling with comparison, yet still be confident. it's very, very natural, yet somehow we so often think I can only live in one camp. I can only live in one camp. And I think a lot of that is a tool of the enemy that he uses to place seeds of doubt in our minds. And it's also just our own flesh. Like we have a really hard time being vulnerable with ourselves, being vulnerable with God, digging deep. Mm-hmm. And so 
when you begin to just say, you know what, there is beauty in brokenness. Mm -hmm. And where can I find it? Where can I see it? Or I don't need to walk around acting like everything's great all the time because someone else around me may have a broken heart. Like, how can I be empathetic and loving towards them? We really begin to understand a little bit more of the character of God, I think, because that's, that is how he exists. He sees it all. Yeah, this is so true. And I love that you talk about the extremes and how being in either extreme is not healthy. We kind of touched on that. Um, in one of the previous episodes last week where I had a therapist on and she was talking mm. about mental health and, and really how if we live in either extreme camp of anything, we become unhealthy. And there's a, a passage in Ecclesiastes that says that a man of God will avoid all extremes. Mm. And I love that because the more that I've learned about the Lord and his nature, he does the place of wisdom is the ability to walk in the middle of balance and I think that's because walking in balance requires that we know ourselves, that we are hearing God's voice and that we're walking in discernment. Extremism mm -hmm. doesn't require us so much to walk in discernment because we can use the parameters of extreme situations to give us our guidelines. And so how did you evolve into this revelation of, of the, the place of balance and how beauty and brokenness can coexist? How did the Lord bring you to that? Yeah, I mean, I think it, obviously it starts really when we first come to know Christ, This particularly if you're, like you said, praying for wisdom, praying for discernment. But when I really remember first um, thinking more about it is I was just a natural grumbler. I mean, I think a lot of people are natural grumblers, but I mean, it was really just very characteristic of my personality, who I was. I grew up in a family where we kind of just grumbled. And so my husband, early on in our marriage, when I would just get in one of those runaway, you know, grumbling trains, he would just stop me and say, I want you to tell me three things that you're thankful for. <laughs> and, oh, I hated it. It would make me so mad. <laughs> but I also took note of what I experienced just in my mind and in my heart after I slowed down long enough to think about things that I was thankful for. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't just the thankfulness that um, didn't have purpose. I mean, he was very specific in saying, you know, thank God for what you have. And so that, those were the first times that I really remember noticing mm -hmm. goodness in the midst of hardship or annoyance or whatever that may be. And then from that time on, God has continued to develop that in me through things like when I experienced postpartum depression and was just, I mean, I couldn't find good in anything. And that was a mental, like there were actually things going on in my body causing that to happen. And so you're fighting a whole different battle. Um, and then it is continued, like I said, throughout. That's the beauty of sanctification, right? Like God doesn't complete his work in us until the day of Christ Jesus. And I'm so, so glad that this is the work that he is doing in me because it's so helpful to not just be bitter and annoyed with people all the time. Yeah, that's so true. I love that you're talking about like that dichotomy of how you can feel such two opposing things and they both be very mm -hmm. real. I remember experiencing that the most vividly when we transitioned from our last church. Um, we've been pastoring our whole marriage, but we had been at our last church for about eight years. 
and we were transitioning. We went on a sabbatical and our sabbatical ended right in the middle of COVID. And so at that Mm. point, the church was shut down and they're like, we don't, we don't have a job for you to come back to. And we were like, well, crap. And at the same time, another local church was begging for us to come because what we bring was exactly what they needed. And they were kind of on a lifeline. They were dying. And, um, and so we were looking at our transition. So our farewell Sunday was supposed to be in service, hugging the necks of everyone we love. Mm but they had to shut down the service and we couldn't even do it online. So it was like, there was no farewell. It was just this, you know, abrupt ending. And so I remember that same Sunday, we were being introduced instead at our new church. And I remember feeling the weight of like grieving and loss and yet excitement and hope so Mm -hmm. fully at the same time. And I was like, how can I feel such full feelings on such extreme ends at the same time? And it it was very eye-opening, you know, like, wow, we're such deep beings. So we can have so many experiences at once. Absolutely. And so it was pretty, it was pretty mind-blowing. So, and I love that because then that also does introduce how God's mercy and God's grace and God seeing us as righteous and good can coexist with the reality that we're totally human and we're totally broken and we're working through sin, you know? And so share with me then a little bit, I know in the notes you had sent me prior to us recording, you had talked a little bit about some of your personal experiences where you saw these things. You mentioned postpartum, which was my last episode. So that's great timing. Um, You also mentioned uh, something about losing your home in a fire Mm -hmm. and other experiences. Do you want to dig into those a little? Yeah. I mean, the things like when I was in fifth grade and my house burned to the ground, of course, I was so young then. Um, I didn't really recognize at the time that as devastating as that was, I can look back now, though, and see that, I mean, we lost everything. And that is hard for anybody to even wrap their mind around unless it happens to you. And I can't even wrap my mind around how my parents felt because their experience of having nothing and having two young children is very different than my experience as a 10-year-old child. But what I look, I can look back and recall now is just the beauty of community. I mean, the way that people provided for us, like the very day it happened, you know, people were dropping off bags of clothes from, you know, my friends that had either grown out of or they just had extra and they knew I had nothing. Um, Having family around to take us in, like that is something to celebrate in the midst of despair. And so I can look back and see that now. And then when I was 15, my dad was in a near fatal car accident. And I can say near fatal now, but at the time it was like, we don't know if he's going to live or not. And once again, I can look back and see the beauty in that was again, the people who came around us and prayed for us and drove me because I'm young. My mom's staying at the hospital. My sister was in college at the time, so she was staying. But we had people driving me back and forth two hours at a time. Um, and I know now with my own kids, like that's a sacrifice. <laughs> it is not easy to just jump in the car and take, you know, someone else's kid to the hospital two hours away and then drive back. And so I can just think on these big events and see, you know, that yes, we were totally broken, but the beauty is the support that you receive from people around you. Yeah, that's so good. That's so true. I empathize with 
with the uh the house burning down except ours flooded we flooded in hurricane yeah yeah and so we went through the same thing and it was for me it was the parent perspective of like i remember asking the lord how do i walk my kids through this to minimize yeah trauma. And it's interesting that what you noticed, that's what the Lord spoke to me to do with my kids was shift their eyes to what the Lord was doing for us through the whole yeah. process. And, um, and it really made a, a traumatizing season, really a blessing and it made it beautiful. Well, and it's like in that, the difference of the extremes that we were talking about earlier is pointing their eyes towards what the Lord is doing, but also realizing that they need to grieve what they've lost. Yeah. Like you don't want to act like, oh, it's not a big deal. Move on. That's not healthy either, right? Like you do need to grieve and you also need to look for hope. Yeah. Yeah. And we did both. It was such a beautiful mm -hmm. thing. Every night I'd be like, okay, talk to me guys. What's going through your minds? What are you thinking about? What are you missing? And, and I'd make space for them to really, cause you got to get it out. You know, you got to get it yes. out, out on a journal or talking or whatever. And so I made lots of room for that. And then at the end, we would, I would share with them, well, guess what God did for us today? So God sees mm. your pain. And there are so many beautiful moments in that process, but it's true. Again, we saw how pain and, and beauty could partner together. Mm -hmm. Only God can do that. Only God can. So That's right. share with me then, where do you see, I mean, I'm thinking of examples, obviously, but I want to hear from you since this is your forte, like, where do you see throughout scripture this beautiful dichotomy of beauty and brokenness partnering together. I mean, goodness, we see it from Genesis all the way through. I mean, we really do. It's like we start in Genesis 2 where God creates this beautiful, perfect garden with perfect people. And not very long after in Genesis 3, we see that brokenness enters the world through sin. Mm -hmm. And then really this dance between the two begin from that point forward. And it's easy to see it um, in the quote unquote big characters of the Bible, like David, mm -hmm. who he is known as a man after God's own heart, yet he committed adultery. He um, asked someone to commit murder for him. He did a lot of really horrible things. And so, again, this beauty and this brokenness is dancing because he's repentant. And that's the beauty. He is continuing to experience the favor of the Lord because of where his heart is. Like, ultimately, he sees that he is wrong in what he has done, and he repents. And God forgives. God is a forgiving God. And so that's beauty and brokenness. We see it in, like, Ruth and Naomi. I mean, what devastation. You lose all of your kids you lose your husband I mean all this stuff happens and to the point where you know you receive this name of bitter <laughs> I mean that and there's beauty that comes from that though like in the sense of they waited and they waited and a redeemer came and as a result of that King Jesus comes from their line. And so, again, that's that beauty and brokenness dancing back and forth. And, I mean, I could tell you it, it's present in judges. It's present in kings. It's present all, that's right, all the way through. But it's so, so easy to only look at the high points. Mm -hmm. I mean, even in Paul, it's like, you know, when he's telling us that he wrestles with a thorn in his flesh, we have to understand that that is actual brokenness. That's hardship. That's pain. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. Yet he also on the flip side of that is saying, I mean, the joy of the Lord is my strength, basically, right? Like to be, to be with Christ is gain. And so it is never, it's never, ever an either or. It's always a both and. And I, again, I could go on and on with examples throughout the word. That's so good. Well, and I feel like I've thought many times, like we oftentimes, like you said, look at the highlights. And so I've looked through it and I'm like, okay, what Bible characters can I think of who actually did it well the whole time? Like there's yeah. not a lot of them. I mean, no, like they'll say, you know, Elijah, I because I think Ezra was good. I think Ezra made it the whole way. He was loyal the whole way, taught people the scripture and then he died. So I think Ezra, Ezra made it, but he's not very popular either. You know, like I know, right? Everyone knows about Ezra, you know? And so I feel like the beauty of that is like, we can forget going back to the idea of putting pressure on ourselves. I feel mm-hmm. like in our, in our, in our desire to please the Lord and our desire to do well, we can put a hyper vigilant pressure on ourselves to be perfect because obviously mm-hmm. we want to be like Christ and, and sin does grieve us and it should. Um, but at the same time, God literally factored in our humanity. Like when he yeah. chose to step in, he factored in knowing exactly the, th- the ways that we would screw up and factored a solution before we ever screwed up. <laughs> Well, and I think something that I I love that Caroline Saunders says is she just talks about the affection of God. And so we get things so wrong sometimes because we think we need to like study the word and pray to get God's affection, to earn God's affection. And it's like his affection for us is set. The reason we do those things is to grow our affection for him. And when you really take that and shift your mindset in that direction and continue to tell yourself that, that earning mentality kind of begins to um, really drop off of you. But it takes a lot of work because, to be honest with you, even our churches kind of train us to be and think and do in that way. Yeah. Well, and we're going through a Bible study at church right now. It's called the, uh, the essentials of discipleship. And we're in the segment talking about grace and all of that. And they, they hit a really great point where they said, you know, our whole human experience is built around performance and reward. Mm-hmm. You know, if you just, dis- if you disobey, I'm going to spank you, but if you do well, then I'm going to reward you. And that's just built into our humanity. So it's it is. Not- it's not like anyone's doing it on purpose necessarily, but it does make it, if we're trying to function by that mentality and those rules, grace doesn't make sense. And we never quite find a grid work to make grace make sense until we realize grace doesn't function in that culture of, mm. of reward for good, for good work. Grace right. is just plain reward because the God who's giving grace is good enough and he wants to give reward. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And then there still is a cost involved, right? I mean, and and that's the thing. You're right. It's our humanity because we're going to wrestle with that always. Like, I feel like I need to earn it, but I can't earn it. Um, Yet I still do need to obey because that's what God commands us to do. And yeah, it's kind of like getting on the hamster wheel, but um, that's because God's thoughts are higher than ours. (laughs) He's so much bigger. So I had, um, I had seen this uh, meme going around for a little while. It was beautiful though. It was this picture of this like porcelain bowl and it had this oriental little tree drawn on it. You could tell it was like an Asian little salad bowl or something, but it was gorgeous and it had gold trim around it, but it had all these like 
little veins, these gold veins mm-hmm. that wove through it, almost like a marble-esque effect. Um, but, you know, it was very imperfect. And they explained that, and I don't know if it was just a good analogy or if it actually happens in certain places in Asian culture, but where when these these porcelain bowls are broken, the fine china is broken, instead of throwing it away, they repair it with gold Gold. and they use gold in those cracks to seam it back together. So then when you see that bowl, you not only see, oh, there's fine china, but you see, oh, this fine china was broken, but it was repaired and it makes it a more valuable piece of, um, of dishes because it now has gold woven into it. And I just thought, what a beautiful picture Mm -hmm. of like, God and the, what he does in our lives, you know, and how, when we go through broken situations, we walk away with a deeper revelation of his love, a deeper revelation of his compassion and his father heart that is not built on our mistakes and failures and successes, you know? And so I thought that was such a great visual. It is. We've used that. It's funny that you say that because the first time I ever spoke on beauty and brokenness, that was like one of the examples Uh um, that someone else used. And so that's awesome. And they do actually do it. It is a real thing. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. I'm glad to have that confirmed. That's really cool. Now I kind of want to go buy one of those bowls. I know. (laughs) Find one. (laughs) I know. Um, Okay. So how can this approach to beauty and brokenness change someone's life and you've sounds like you've been in the church long enough to kind of know church culture and church mindsets and stuff do you have any testimonies of how shifting into this thinking transformed you or transformed someone else that you know I mean outside of the obvious of God's grace and salvation and whatever but well I mean I definitely I, I definitely can speak of my own testimony obviously that it has absolutely changed me I mean I think back to when the pandemic began And one of the practices, and I'll probably share this at the end as we kind of dig into some of the practical steps and things to do to kind of begin shifting your mindset, um, is, you know, I would go outside and I would walk around and I would just begin to practice looking around, Mm -hmm. like look around and don't just look around and say, oh God, I thank you for the trees. But it's like, God, I'm so grateful that like, Even the leaves aren't the same shade of green. You know, you could have just made every single shade of green the same. Uh But you are like so creative. You didn't do that. Like you knew that there was just more depth. Like why did you create one red bird? And that one red bird just happens to land in my backyard, you know, almost every single day. So little things like that, when when you start paying attention to it, it really does help when hard and difficult uh, painful things are happening, it just gives you an anchor to hold on to. And I'm not talking about an anchor like creation, but it it focuses your eyes on how big God is. Mm-hmm. And it helps you to see other things going on in the world mm-hmm. besides just your temporary circumstance. And I, it, it's great that you said this because just recently my friend Cindy, um, she lost her mom mm-hmm. and she had been her mom's caregiver for several years. Mm-hmm. And so I was asking her, you know, how she was doing. And she said, well, you know, it's interesting because Katie, who is her oldest daughter and was pregnant, was having a gender reveal party on the same day that her grandmother passed away or Cindy's mom. Yeah. And she was like, you know, I, I don't think we should do this mom. And Cindy was like, absolutely not because this is life. Yeah. This is life. Joy and grief go together. Mm -hmm. 
they coexist. Your grandmother would want you to celebrate life. And so we're going to do this. We're going to both, we're going to be really sad that she is gone from this earth. And we're going to be really joyful that you're having a baby. And I just thought, yes, that is it. Yeah. That is it. We don't have to cancel our lives Mm -hmm. because we have cancer. And and we can see that there's some people on Instagram right now who are just going through horrible, horrible experiences like walking to the gates of death mm-hmm. and they're doing it in such a beautiful way in such a God honoring way. And so that's a long story for me to say, like, those are a couple of examples of yeah. how it can really affect our thinking. Okay. So I love that now because I'm, you mentioned that you used to be a, a bit of a grumbler and you did share kind of what helped pull you out of that. What are some practicals that my listeners who are like, this is kind of a new concept for me. Um, it probably is turning on some light bulbs for a lot of people, but what are maybe some practicals or ways that they can begin to intentionally incorporate this idea of beauty and brokenness can coexist into their life? Well, the first thing I would say is if you are not someone who practices daily gratitude, start. So go ahead and put a pen and a paper out on your kitchen table. Stop worrying about if it's messy. Maybe it's a post-it note on the wall. <laughs> That's what my mother-in-law says. I love it. She's like, I can remember when my boys were young, I was so desperate that I had post-it notes all over my walls because I needed to fix my eyes on something that was good. Aww. And that was the only way at the time that I knew how to do it. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I mean, because we, we got to do what it takes to, to remind us of what is good. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't do that, start now and just spend go ahead and set a goal for yourself 30 days. I'm going to write 10 things that I'm thankful for every single day. Mm -hmm. It'll be hard at first. And after a while, you'll be like me. You're thanking God for coffee. You're thanking him for toothpaste. (laughs) And I'm, I'm dead serious about this. Like nothing is too small. Nothing is too small to acknowledge that at any moment that could be gone. Um, and then after that, dig a little bit deeper, uh, Philippians four, eight, and nine, it's a verse a lot of people know. And so it, it's the verse where it's like, finally, brothers and sister, whatever is pure, whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, think on these things. Yeah. And the peace of God will be with you. That's exactly what it says. But we can memorize that. But do we know how to think on those things? And so a couple of years ago, around um, November, I did a gratitude, like a couple of weeks of we would meet on Zoom And we did a gratitude practice. Mm -hmm. And part of that practice was opening up those verses and writing down three things that were pure. Mm -hmm. What are three things that are pure that you are thankful for? Mm -hmm. And as Christians, so often we can't come up with anything because we've been taught that no one is good. No, not one, which we aren't. (laughs) But listen, there are moments of purity and we have to be able to look at the image of God Mm -hmm. in people if only for a millisecond yeah, that's good. and grasp on to that pure moment, because that is God at work in the world. Amen. A baby, a baby lying in your arms, sleeping is a very pure thing. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying they're not sinners. That's not what we're talking about. But God says, fix your eyes on these things. Yeah. He says, think on these things. And so often we can't do it. We can't think of things that are noble to be thankful for. We can't think of things that are lovely and admirable. I mean, I've seen Christians do it time and time again. Well, 
Jesus. Yes, yes, Jesus. But there's so much more. Like, so those are the practical things. Like, take that verse and begin to look around for things that fall in that category. Maybe it's a waterfall. Maybe it is that 10-minute conversation you had with your spouse that was just deep connection that you don't get that often. Yeah. Like, those are lovely things that God celebrates. Mm -hmm. So those are the two big things. The other thing I would say is download the pause app. Um, It's free and it's fantastic because it's like a one to five minute pause where it's just acknowledging that God is the God of the universe. He's the creator of everything. He loves you. He knows you and you can give everything and everyone to him. And that's created by John Eldridge. And it's just a good practice every day. Slow down more than once. Welcome God into your everyday moment by moment, not just in the morning or during your quiet time, but acknowledge him always and you will start to see a huge difference. That's so good. I feel like so many of these things that um, are woven into scripture, I'm I'm a nerd and I love neuroscience. I love learning mm-hmm. about the brain and all of that. And it's amazing to me, the more I learn about, you know, uh, practicing, what is it called? Mindfulness, you know, just being very present, very aware, um, like just touch, touching base with all of your senses and what's going on around and and being grateful and all these things. Like it's all kind of coming back around, but it's like, to me, I always laugh to myself because I'm like, God came up with it first, (laughs) you know, it's right there in Philippians, you know, or it's right right there in Proverbs as a man thinketh, so is he, you know? And so, and I, I love it because to me, it also, reminds me even as I learn how the brain works it reminds me how much goodness God carries that he put it in scripture without an explanation why he's not he's like I'm not going to bother giving you a science lesson but just let me tell you if you think on what's good and lovely this will help <laughs> you know and yeah. he like sets us up for success and um and I just love that but I love every one of those practicals and that app I'm totally going to download um, yeah, that's those great. Are just, those are awesome. Thank you for getting so practical with well, that. Well, and real quick before you sign off with the the neuroscience stuff, because I'm the same way. It, God is so good too. Like He's made our brains neuroplastic, and for so long we used to think like whatever was in there, that was it. Nothing could change. But no, you can create new pathways, yeah. and so don't keep ruminating on only things that are hard and difficult and trust me I'm not saying that because I am a glass half full kind of girl like I have had to put in the work and I still do praise God for my husband because he is a glass half full kind of guy and so even now I'll get in a really bad rut and he's like hey why don't you go focus on that Philippians 4 passage and I'm like thank you thank you you're right snap out of it so your mind can be changed. It just takes work. It takes work. It does. Well, and I mentioned too, in my last episode that like gratitude is so powerful because when you think on things that you're grateful for, it releases the same chemical that you experience when you're falling in love or when Mm -hmm. you're in love. And so basically you can train your brain to be in love with life. And I feel like right now, especially this is a really 
not to be overdramatic, but it's almost like a life or death practice in that life or death to your soul, because mm-hmm. there's, there's so much going on in the world right now. That's just so heavy, you know, kids. Well, and we see it all the time, right? We see yeah. it and we hear it. So it's always, there's always been a lot of stuff going on, but yeah. now we're bombarded because we intake the internet a whole lot more than we intake things that are beautiful and lovely and great and praiseworthy and all the things. So, yeah. And I would even, I would even recommend for any of you that are like, Hey, I love this. I want to get on this train. I would recommend if you are on social media a lot, social media is not the devil, but Mm -hmm. I think that it's a vehicle that we can turn around and use for good and not let it be something that, that has to always produce, um, negative things in our life. And so what I've done is I've gone through it. If there's people that come up on my feed that I realize that their content stresses me out or makes me feel comparison or makes me feel discouraged, um, or it's negative, I'll just unfollow. And I started intentionally going and following accounts that put the word of God in front of me or put positive things in front of me or are always building me up. And I intentionally want those things to be in my feed. Cause I know they're going in my brain if I'm going to be on there, you know? And yeah. so that's another like way that you can put what's good and lovely in front of your eyes. But now yes. don't go anywhere because Amber has a really great suggestion for our life hacks. So don't go anywhere. We're going to dive into our life hacks right now. Okay. So Amber, give us the goodness that you've got for our life hack today. I mean, I feel like this is really simple. Probably all the people who've been moms for a long time are going to be like, that's not a life hack, but it changed my life. And so it was a (laughs) hack, right? (laughs) So I was super stressed out at the beginning of this school year. I partially homeschool my kids. So they're in school two days a week and they're home three days a week. And let me tell you, if your kids are at home more than they're at school, because I have elementary and middle school age kids now, a lot more messes are made. Like, I know that feels like what a lot of messes are made in my house already. But if you homeschool, you know, it's like triple time. So I finally made a list of chores that my kids had to do every single day before they can do screen time. Mm -hmm. And if those things have not been done, they do not get to do them. Or they do not get to have their screen time. Now, a lot of people resist this a little bit because it just feels like it's a lot of work. But listen, once they get in the routine, it is so much less work for everyone. Because even my youngest, who's six years old, will go up to his chart and look. Today is Wednesday. He will go up and he will look on Wednesday and he will see what he has to do. And he never even comes and asks me about it. He just does it. Oh, that's awesome. Friends, that's a life hack. That is a life hack. (laughs) So if you don't have children or your children are still too young, trust me, do it. (laughs) Okay, so give us some examples. What are some of those chores that you have for them? Yeah, so um, also, if you don't have a small little Dyson vacuum, you know, the little handheld thing, maybe it's not Dyson, like also life hack. Thank you, God. That's right. Thank you, God, for those things. Because like your kids can use them at like age four. I mean, and so that's one like the the family room, the dining room, the kitchen, um, taking out our compost because we compost, you know, my, my oldest has to do trash on Tuesdays. Um, what are other things? Dusting, yeah, like little things like that. And so they're not super hard things, but I know by the time Friday comes, because we actually, we Sabbath on Friday into Saturday. And we do a Shabbat meal. So everything needs to be clean before we start. And um, 
like that is so much less stress on me because the family room's been dusted, the living room has been swept, the clothes have been put away. And it's not because I've had to sit and hound them over and over again. They just look on their list and they do it. Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. When my kids were little, I did something very similar and it got where now they would kind of get to pick what chore they wanted to do that day. Mm -hmm. And so, but they knew the four common ones they had to pick from. So yeah. they'd get in the car after school and they'd start fighting over which chore they could do. And I was like, Hey, y'all are fine to do chores. I'm a happy mom, you know, and I know. So same, same reason they wouldn't get screen time or TV time until the chores were done. And so it's true. And then you teach them responsibility where they're taking initiative to do the thing they know needs to be done yes. before they get on to play. So that's just, you're training their Well, brain. and it's teaching them like family culture, right? Like I think it's taken me a long time to wrap my mind around. They actually end up feeling more a part of the family, even if we grumble about doing it, right? Because when mommy is just doing all the things, well, it looks like, oh, mom just does all the things. I mean, but when it's a family culture type thing, it's kind of like, okay, in order for this house to function with five people living in it, we have to work together. Yeah, it's so true. And a lot of people don't realize this, but when you train your kids, like I went to Bible school, I went to college and it blew my mind how many adult women did not know how to do their own laundry. I was like, what the crap is wrong with y'all? I've been doing my laundry since I was 12, you know? I mean, confession girl, I did not do my laundry, but you know what amazes me uh -huh. about that is that like how many people can't just read directions? Yeah, <laughs> like read the back of the jug. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not sure I really needed somebody to teach me how to do laundry because I just called my dad one day and said, Hey, am I doing this right? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, Oh, I learned that by reading directions. <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't that hard. Right? Well, they say that when you teach your kids to do those things that they're actually physically capable of or, yes. or mentally capable of, you're actually infusing them with confidence because yes. you're equipping them with skills that they inherently know they need for life because they see you do them. And so they feel more equipped yep. for life. And so you actually infuse them with confidence by making them have responsibilities. And yes. So and just give yourself like two weeks, right? Because it's, it's a rough first few weeks, but then once they start doing it, it's yep. nothing. Well, and you know what we would do too, is if my kids would complain about doing a chore, I'd say, oh, thank you for volunteering for another one. And so I'd give them another <laughs> chore right away. And so they learned very quickly not to complain when they have chores. So wise, so That's wise. Great. I love it. Well, Amber, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was such a delight to hear your heart and, uh, and just hear all this revelation the Lord's given you on this topic. It's beautiful. It's empowering. It's it's hope filled and it was just a blessing to hear. So how can my listeners get a hold of you and connect with you? Yeah, well, you can listen to Grace Enough podcast anywhere where there's podcasts. Um, and then I hang out mostly on Instagram. And so that's Grace Enough podcast underscore Amber. I love, love, love to connect with people there. Awesome. Well, I'm going to have Amber send me those links. So those links will all be in the show notes in case you forget what to look for. And um, otherwise, Amber, thank you again for taking the time. And it was just a delight to get to meet you and, and have this conversation with you. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. All right, you guys, thanks for tuning in. If you loved this episode, make sure, throw it on social media, share it with a friend. So many times we hear these nuggets and these revelations and we think, oh, that's so good. And then we forget to share it with someone, but hey, that girl that you just had coffee with this morning might love it as much. So share the episode and um, 
Again, also don't forget to go check out the merch store if you want some Java with Jen coffee. It is at javawithjenmerch.com. Get you a coffee mug, get you a t-shirt. And otherwise, we will see you guys next week and on Instagram. Have a great week. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's show. For those of you who've rated or shared this podcast on social media, thank you. Reading your comments and reviews always means so much to me. Listen, let's stay connected. Come follow me on Instagram at Java with Jen, where you can follow the latest and say hey. It's a really great way to stay in touch. Many of you have also asked how you can support the show. You can make donations through the Anchor app or on Patreon. Or of course, by sharing, rating, and reviewing on social media and iTunes as well. Your heartfelt feedback always reminds me why I do this. Until next time, remember, you will fulfill your greatest destiny one day at a time.